the Christmas story. It's where we're going to be today in Luke chapter 2. If you want to turn there, Luke chapter 2, it'll also be on the screens or screen. I think the cord for that screen got stepped on. That's all right. And don't worry about it. It's fine. It's really fine. Yeah. It may not be that cord. It may be another cord. It's, it's all right. Uh, but you can also look at it on the Pew Bible there in front of you if you want to grab one of those on page 857. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible, like you don't have a personal Bible, take one of those Pew Bibles home with you. That can be your Christmas present from us. That's your gift. Take it. Uh, we've got others we can fill that slot with, but if you don't have a Bible, you need one, so take that one. Uh, you see, here in Luke chapter 2, when we get to this point in the Christmas story, a lot has transpired just to get here. You know, Mary was just a young girl, and the angel Gabriel came to her and said, you're going to have a child, and that child is going to be the Son of God, the Messiah, that you have been waiting for for thousands of years. And so Mary's trying to figure all of this out while the angel's telling her, and then Mary says, may it be to me as you have said. And she is pregnant then with Jesus. And what the scripture tells us is, then she goes to see her relative Elizabeth. And she's with Elizabeth for a little while, possibly up to three months. And then she comes back to Nazareth. And Matthew chapter 1 tells us, Joseph, her betrothed, finds out that she's married. It says he discovered it, implying that she didn't tell him. He discovers that she's pregnant because she shows up back in town three months pregnant in a small town. And word gets around. Joseph then figures out what he's going to do. He's going to divorce her because back then betrothal is not quite like engagement is today. It's a legal contract at that point. And so they have to go through the legal process of, of getting the thing separated, uh, divorce. And so he's contemplating that, let, letting that be his decision. And while he's thinking about this, it says, Joseph has a dream, and in the dream, God gives him a vision. And in this vision, an angel comes to him and says, Joseph, stop it. You need to marry Mary. The baby she has is the Son of God, the Messiah. And so you need to marry her, raise that child, and he will save the world from their sins. Joseph wakes up from his dream, from his vision. It says in Matthew chapter 1, he goes and he takes Mary as his wife. And in that process, having now taken Mary, even though they're married, they're still not quite married yet, uh, a lot of other things are transpiring that they don't even know about at this point because God's been working behind the scenes for a very long time. So look at Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. There's a lot of info packed in, in there in that little uh, setup that Luke writes there at the beginning of Luke chapter 2. You see, what has been going on that Mary and Joseph didn't know about is God has been working in, even in the Roman government. This is how you know God can use anyone and everyone. God can even use the government to do things that he wants done. He can accomplish his purposes even with, you know, government red tape and processes. And so what's going on here is they set out to, to take a census of the entire Roman Empire. And the way they operated back then 
as we have historical record, is they allowed each region in the Roman Empire to take the census however they wanted to take it. As long as Rome got their numbers, they didn't care how each region took it. And so what this area did, the Judean area did, is because of who they were, they wanted everyone to go back to their ancestral home, the home of their tribe. You know, that like we're going to see in just a second, Joseph was from the tribe of Judah, so they would go back to Bethlehem. That's where great King David was born. He was from the tribe of Judah. And so they would go back to their ancestral home, Bethlehem, and they would be there and they would register for the census there so that Rome could better tax everybody. And so God sets this up. Verse 4, and Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. So they're in Nazareth, and they go to Bethlehem. It's about 90 miles away. 90 miles. Now, it doesn't say how they travel. You know, all the, the imagery we get in movies and, and, and pictures is, there, is Mary's on a donkey. Even our own play. They did phenomenal on that play. Uh, Mary's on a donkey, but it doesn't say that in the passage. She could have been on a donkey. She could have been in a cart. They both could have been in a cart. Or they could have walked. However it played out, we don't know. They had to travel 90 miles to get to Bethlehem. So it would have taken them a little while. Because they're not just traveling 90 miles. They're traveling 90 miles with Mary pregnant. You know, eight or nine months pregnant. Anybody ever tried to walk 90 miles, nine months pregnant? It'd be very difficult. Can I get an amen? So she tries to, I, I hopefully didn't hear any male voices. There. I mean, you Yes, it's very difficult. So you had to walk that 90 miles. They had to get there that 90 miles, and they get there. But what's so fascinating about this is we, I don't know how you play this in your head. In my mind, I see Mary and Joseph walking into Bethlehem, trying to find a place to stay, and they can't find a place to stay. But as I was studying this, it hit me. The entire tribe of Judah is coming to Bethlehem to be registered for the census. This isn't just one or two people. This is probably, I mean, Mary and Joseph are both from the tribe of Judah. It's their entire families are coming to be registered. It would be equivalent, similar to today, if everyone who had an ancestry from Arkansas came to DeQueen to be registered for the census. Would we have a lot of people in town? It'd be a, I mean, you think the eclipse coming up is going to be nuts. That's a lot of, and we're millions of people bombarding the town. Of course the, the hotels are going to be full. You've got people everywhere. And so Mary and Joseph have to travel 90 miles to get back to Bethlehem. And everyone from the tribe of Judah is descending on this town. And so everyone who's closer than 90 miles get there before they do. And so they come into town with wall-to-wall people trying to figure out where to go, where to stay. And they didn't have hotels like we have today, most of the time what they would have had would have been somebody just with a spare room that they would rent out for travelers. And that would have been throughout the little town there. It was a small town, little bitty town. And they come into town and there's just people everywhere. And at some point, Joseph has a realization as Mary tells him, uh, verse six, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Just, Mary just tells him probably... Think about it. Very calmly, Joseph, it's time for me to have a baby, right? I mean, that's how she would have said it, right? Very calmly and not any panic whatsoever uh, as they can't find a place to stay. But notice in the passage there, it says, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. 
it doesn't tell us how long they were in town before she gave birth. Again, a lot of times we picture they get into town, they knock on the innkeeper's door, he says, I don't have any room for you, but you can stay in the stable. And then she, they go to the stable and they stay there and then all of a sudden she's like, oh, it's time to have the baby. But it doesn't tell us how long they were in town, just while they were there, maybe right when they got into town, maybe they were there for a little while, maybe they're running around trying to find a good spot, maybe they've been there a few days, we don't know. It just says while they were there to be registered, she goes into labor. Verse 7. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. No place for them. Something else that really stood out as I was studying this. You know, our image of this moment is them in a stable or a cave, however the stable was back then. But if you read verse 7, can anybody see the word stable? It doesn't say that they're in a stable. That's our assumption because it says manger. But in the first century, mangers weren't just in stables. Mangers were outside of houses. Mangers were in courtyards. There were several mangers in in the town square. Usually when people would come into town and there's no place for them to stay, they would set up camp in the town square because there might have been a place to retrieve water, sometimes a well. There would have been several mangers there. They could get food for their animals. And so very possibly they could be in the town square. But wherever they are, I guarantee you, because there's so many people in town, it's not private. They're there. Mary gives birth, and they place the baby Jesus in the manger, the very first king-size bed. I was saving that. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Jamie. I am a dad. You got to throw those in sometimes, those dad jokes. That was a good one. And they put him in the manger. You, you've got to know, I mean, I can't even imagine what they're thinking, what's going through their heads as, as they give, Mary gives birth to the son of God. And they think the best we can do is put him in a manger. Expectations of the moment are thrown out the window as, as they're there. And they place him in the manger And in the middle of all this that is going on, and now getting to look upon the Son of God, their creator, actually, as John chapter 1 tells us, there's something else going on nearby. Look at verse 8. And there were in the same region shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Now think about that for a moment. So shepherds are out in the field. And this was an important detail, because this was just a handful of miles away from Jerusalem, five, six, seven-ish miles. And any sheep that was between Jerusalem and Bethlehem was reserved for sacrifice in the temple. So most likely, these shepherds are watching the sheep that are going to be sacrificed in the temple just right out nearby. The fact that it says uh, in a field uh, in the same region, so in that same area, it gives us indication that's what these sheep are reserved for. And these shepherds are out there, and it says the glory of the Lord shone around them. So the angel suddenly appearing would have been scary enough. Have you ever been out in the dark and then somebody jumps out at you, just you didn't expect they were there? Maybe it's a family member jumps out at you and it kind of scares you a little bit, but It's not just that the angel suddenly appears to them. 
It's that the glory of the Lord sh shines around them. That would have been great, greatly fear-inducing. It's the idea of, of the glory of God just descending on the entire area at once. It's not just a, a bombardment of their eyes and, and an overwhelming of that sense. It's the glory of God. So it's all five of their senses just overwhelmed with uh, what they are seeing in the moment. And they probably fall to the ground, just, just overcome with what is flying through their consciousness at the moment. And the angel said to them, verse 10, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So he says, don't be scared. I'm coming to give you good news, not bad news. This is good news for all the people. Verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And so he tells them the Savior is here, the Christ is here, the Messiah is here, the ones that y'all have waited for for thousands of years has now arrived. And so even though these are shepherds, stereotypically first century, they would not have been that well educated. They, they would have known some things. They would have gone to school for a little while, but uh, they would have gone to this, this job, this career very young and been out there and been working. Stereotypically as well, shepherds had a notorious reputation. Even though in Scripture, the good shepherd is presented uh, often throughout Scripture, but uh, uh, stereotypically, first century shepherds were thieves and would steal stuff uh, very frequently. And so here these shepherds are in the field, but even with this reputation, even with their education level, they would know about the coming Messiah. And so when the angel shows up and says, he's here today, and he's right there in Bethlehem, you know, maybe pointing to the city, they can see it, it's right there. That's where he is. There would have been a buildup of excitement within him. And he says, verse 12, And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So, with the one angel, now there's a heavenly host. The heavenly host, it says. That word host means army. This is, the, this is God's army of angels show up on the scene. The fact that, that they, it calls these angels the host, the army, there would have been some sort of giveaway on their bodies that they were army guys. There would have been weapons probably. And they show up here, and this army declares peace. The army shows up, the, the, the figures of war show up to declare peace. They declare peace not by force of will, not by uh, conquering in battle, but by making a birth announcement. And they declare peace to the world by giving the message to these shepherds. Jesus' very presence upends expectations. Look at verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. So they run into town, looking all over the place. They find the manger, they find the baby, and they run up super excited. When they saw it, the baby, Jesus, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. 
So they relayed the information they had just seen out in the field that the angels had just given them. They're telling Mary and Joseph and probably all the other people who were there uh, what they had just experienced, the overwhelming nature of what they just experienced in God's glory. They were immediately obedient, even though they were stereotypical lawbreakers. Verse 18, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The shepherds found Jesus. The shepherds found Jesus and found their voice. The shepherds found their value when they found Jesus. You see, Jesus came for these shepherds. These shepherds who were harshly judged by a brutal culture, Jesus came for them. In addition, Jesus came for Mary and Joseph there in Nazareth and then came to them being born here in Bethlehem. People, Mary and Joseph, people uh, who were rejected on the day of Jesus' birth, people who were rejected. You see what it said? Back up in verse 7, there's no place for them. No place was found for Mary and Joseph. Nobody had any room for them. Nobody had any value for them in town. You would think Joseph, if he was somebody, if he was culturally somebody, if he had some money to his name, he could have gone up and said, hey, I'm Joseph, you let me in. Like, he's going to throw some weight around. I, I, here, here, here's a 20, let me have that bed over there. My wife is pregnant, we need to get in and we need to take care of this. But Joseph and Mary, if Jesus didn't come to them, we never would have heard their name. Historically, culturally in that area, they were what we would call nobodies to the world, but to Jesus, they were everybody. So Jesus came for them, just as Jesus came for the shepherds. Jesus came for you. Jesus came for me. Jesus has come for all people, for everybody, because Jesus loves everybody. Jesus didn't just come for the people who are good and righteous and perfect, because nobody's that way. Jesus didn't show up to the king and say, hey, Jesus is here. I'm here. The, the, the angel Gabriel didn't show up to the regional governor and say, he's here. The angel didn't show up to Herod and say, hey, Jesus is here. Or Caesar and say, hey, Jesus is here, the Messiah. He didn't come to the mayor of Bethlehem and say, the Messiah is here. He's in your town. You better put something together. Get a fruit basket or something. He's here. He didn't say any of that. He came to Mary and Joseph. He came to shepherds because Jesus came not just for people who have a title, not just for people who appear to have it all together. Jesus came for all of us. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus said, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. He came for the lost. He came for everybody. That's us. We are lost without him. He came for us in Mark chapter 2. Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. But sinners. All of us are sinners. All of us. No one is righteous, no, not one. From the Psalms and from Paul, we're all sinners. Look at what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 1. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. The great Apostle Paul, if we were listing, we would never do this because it's sinful. We would never make a list of who's important and who's not in our own minds. But if we were, 
I think if we were to make a list of the greatest Christians who ever lived, I would think the Apostle Paul would be like right up near the top of the list. Like you put Paul up there, you know, you put some of these other guys, maybe the 12 apostles right up there at the top. Uh, But you got Paul at the top and he says, Jesus came to save sinners and he says, I am the worst. I'm the, Paul knew his own heart. Paul knew who he was. He says, I'm a sinner and I am not deserving of any acclaim from anyone. And Jesus came to save me. And so that's how he, Paul is, as though he's saying, I know Jesus can save you because Jesus saved me. Jesus can save all of us, all of us. And Jesus wants to save all of us. First Timothy chapter two, he's, he's speaking of God, that he desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of that truth. Let me teach you a little Greek. You ready for this? See that word desires on the screen? Almost pointed it that way. <laughs> that screen's busted. This one over here. Desires. That word literally means, in the original language, it means wills. God wills all people to be saved. But you know, the thing is, I don't know if you know this or not, people don't always do what God wants them to do. You know anybody who doesn't ever do what God wants them to do? Don't nudge the person next to you. Sometimes we don't do what God wants. That's why we sin. But God wants all of us to be saved. That's why he sent Jesus. He wants all of us to be saved. He said it again in 2 Peter chapter 3. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish. That means go to hell. He doesn't want anybody to suffer. But that all, all people should reach repentance. Every single one of us should come to repent. Every single one of us should come to be saved. He wants us all to find salvation. He doesn't want salvation to be elusive and away from us. That's why he brought it. That's why he made it free. That's why you don't have to say magic words to be saved. That's why you don't have to do more good than bad stuff in the world. He actually says the only way to be saved is by believing and having faith. You can't earn your way into heaven. Paul said that. He said, you, you don't get there by works. You can't. It's impossible. The only way we can gain heaven, the only way we can get to know Jesus as he came on Christmas, as he died on Easter, as he rose, the only way is by believing that Jesus, God's son, came to this earth, died so all our sins would be forgiven, and rose from the dead. So we can live after we die. That's the only way we get get to heaven. Only way. There's no other option. There's no second plan B. There's nothing. That's it. Is believing in Jesus. And once you believe in Jesus and you're saved, you're a Christian, it's impossible to lose your salvation. It's impossible. There's not a sin you can do after you're saved to undo your salvation. Because if there was a sin you could do to undo your salvation, that would mean you are more powerful than God. Spoiler, you're not. (laughs) You're not. You are saved for all time once you believe. So believe in Jesus. And I'll tell you right now, here, being here, this is Christmas Eve. If you didn't know, Christmas is tomorrow. Walmart's still open if you need to run by on the way home and get something. But... What a time to come to know Jesus on Christmas Eve, 2023. So if you don't know Jesus, now's the time to do it. Don't wait. 
Don't hesitate. You're not guaranteed safety to hop in your car and drive home from here. Know Jesus now. Don't leave the green carpet. Don't go out there and get one of those Christmas snacks until you have come to know Jesus. And so this is your opportunity. Before we light these candles, before we uh, uh, sing these Christmas carols, now is your opportunity to know Jesus. Jesus.